Well, good morning. Hey, this week is going to be one of those weeks here at MCC. As you have seen, uh, we have a wild koala running around, but uh, uh, this week is VBS, as Michelle had mentioned, and we uh, are excited to have hundreds of kids running around our campus this week. It's going to be great. We have an army of volunteers who are ready to help them see Jesus. And by the way, as Michelle mentioned, we'll mention it again at the end, you can be part of helping make that happen uh, this afternoon. If you would be willing, that would be great. But I want to make sure just you remember that that's going on. I, I love that we had this up on the platform. But this week, we also have three funerals, three families that are mourning wives and daughters, moms, a grandma, a granddaughter, and a great-granddaughter. And so not only do we get to help children see who Jesus is, we get to help these families, these three families, experience the comfort and the encouragement that comes because of Jesus. And... Two weeks ago, somebody was baptized here. This past week, one of our students got to baptize somebody at camp. We have a couple of more people who are having that conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. I mentioned that. I mentioned all of that, not to impress you with the pace of MCC, but to remind you that in the pace, and there's just a lot of things going on, that what matters most is that we don't take our eyes off of what is most important to Jesus. And what's most important to Jesus is people. So Paul would say this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And last week, listen, that we're going to keep coming back to that because last week we started a two-week look at the pace and priority of Jesus. And last week we looked at his pace and it tells us, and what it tells us, and today we're going to look at his priority. And if we can learn, if you and I can learn together to walk with the pace and the priority of Jesus, we can begin to help people experience Jesus through us because we're going to ask them to follow our example as we follow the example of Jesus. So check this out. It's in Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, if you don't, uh, this is on the version notes, so I hope that you uh, have pulled those up. And if you're online, you can find those. Uh, uh, Thanks for joining us online, by the way. Appreciate you uh, worshiping with us. Uh, those notes are there. Also, you'll see as you follow through the thread, things will pop up. I hope those are helpful. But Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to begin, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now, we're going to set the stage just a little bit because some other things have been happening around this, what we're about to look at today. Jesus has just performed two huge miracles. John tells us that just before this, he calms a storm. And that's just huge, by the way. You can read about that again in John 4. But when they get through that and they land on the other side, on the shore, they're actually landing in a cemetery parking lot. And a man who is filled with demons is waiting for them. And his name is Legion. And scholars believe that as many as 6,000 demons lived inside of this guy. Legion lived in the cemetery. He would run around naked, cutting himself with broken pottery, and pretty much scaring everyone to death who wasn't already dead. 
uh, the people there would try to tie him up with ropes. They tried to contain him with chains. He kept getting loose. And Jesus, just so you know, Jesus heals this guy as well, which is big. That's also big. And everyone, everyone hears about this. So Jesus crosses back to the other side of the lake where our passage takes place, and a large crowd is gathered. And Luke, when he tells about this in his gospel, he says that the crowd welcomed him because they were expecting him, which, how did they know he was coming? Had another boat, maybe, maybe another boat had taken off about the same time and had somehow gotten ahead of Jesus. And so they landed and were telling everybody, or maybe, or maybe word had traveled around the lake before Jesus and his boat could travel across the lake. I don't know how it happened, but, but they're there. And Jesus lands, he gets out of the boat, and he's immediately swallowed in a crowd of, boy, are we glad to see you, and welcome back, Jesus, and, and, and we've been expecting you. And maybe even somebody said, oh, I hope he teaches us something today. And someone, as, as that's happening, someone breaks through the crowd, and everyone recognizes that guy. Hey, 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 that's, that's the synagogue leader, right? That guy, his name is what? Jairus, that's right. I recognize him now. Hey, you know what I heard? His daughter's not doing well. And the ruler of the synagogue was one of the most important and most respected men in the Jewish community. He would have been elected from among the elders. He, he, he wasn't really a teacher or a preacher as much as he appointed those who would teach and pray, and he invited those who were going to preach at the synagogue. He would have been strictly orthodox in his Judaism and would have regarded Jesus as a dangerous heretic. I tell you that because I want you to understand that Jairus would only be coming to Jesus as a last resort. I want to make sure that you know that this man who is one of the most important, one of the most respected men in that town came and threw himself at the feet of Jesus, who was a wandering teacher. And it was only because everything else had failed that he came in desperation to Jesus. Luke tells us uh, in chapter 8, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, it's enough that a child is ill and dying, but Luke lets us know that it's his only child. And so the light of, the, of, their, of these parents, their, the light of their life is going out. He also says that she's 12. And we know that in Jewish custom, a girl would become a woman at 12 years and one day. So she's on the threshold of womanhood. And I just want to make sure you get this because when we're talking about the priority of Jesus, his priority, when Jesus shows us what his priority is, it is a reminder of the compassion of God. And I say that because sometimes we paint God from the Old Testament as angry and warlike. And, and Jesus in the New Testament is the compassionate and loving God. And we forget that God is Father, Son, and Spirit that what's true of one is true of all. And so when God describes himself, he says it this way to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And so because of that, Jesus sets off for Jairus's house. Jairus is in the lead. Jesus is right behind him. And they're trying to move at a good step. But this crowd is so thick that they have to fight their way through. Mark says that the crowd pressed in on them. Uh, Luke says that when he records, he says they almost crushed them. That's the time. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? I mean, crushing you. I remember 
uh, when I was seven or eight years old, our family went to the Ohio State Fair. And I, I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't been for decades, but I remember what it was like. Uh, it was, so it's, imagine if you've never been there, it's kind of like walking through a really crowded room. And so again, six or seven, my twin brother and I are holding on to each other's hands and to mom and dad's hands. Uh, so one moment, we're walking that way through this crowd, this thick, thick crowd. The next moment, we no longer have mom and dad's hands. And we can't see them. And we can't find them. And we are scared out of our minds. We found them later trying to sneak out to the car. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd like that. At this point, the story adds a twist in verse 24. So Jesus went with him with Jairus, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years was there. And she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. You know, biblical scholars speculate uh, that it was chronic hemorrhaging from the womb, but the way Mark describes it, it's not really possible to know what the cause of her bleeding was, but she's been bleeding for 12 years. And she's tried everything. She's tried everything. And she just got worse. And I don't know if you can relate to her or not. I, I cannot. I have been frustrated with doctors before. I have waited over an hour for an appointment that I was showing up on time for. We, Sandy and I have had children that were sick, sicker than a dog. And the doctor, you take them to the doctor, maybe you've experienced it, and they'll say, yeah, they're sick. If they get worse in two days, give me a call. That'll be $100. I mean, that, you know, that drive you crazy? The Jewish Talmud lists no less than 12 cures for what is described uh, such as tonics and astringents, but also they prescribed uh, carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summer and a cotton rag in the winter, or carrying a barley corn which had been found in the dung of white, uh, white female donkey. So white, you know, donkey poop. Uh, uh, I think I've been to that guy. Uh, and, we, you know, we can kind of laugh about this this morning, but her frustration is very real. And my guess is that some of us may be here in the room, some of us online, we understand, right, the aggravation and the disappointment of going to doctors and specialists and tests and being poked and prodded and the insurance forms and the hassles and the bills. And instead of getting better or even just staying the same, you get worse. And I'm sorry that that's true. But some of you know very well what this woman was going through, but there's more. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 15, we read that due to her illness, regardless of why she was bleeding, that she's considered by the Jewish people to be unclean. She's an utter outcast in her own community. She couldn't take part in any religious proceedings, which means no, no, no wedding ceremonies, no funeral services, even if, even if it's her parents, she couldn't have gone. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't worship. She couldn't touch other people. She had been separated from her husband for 12 years, 12 years of life like that, 12 years of the frustration of illness, 12 years of the pressures of finances, 12 years of the humiliation and loneliness of being considered unclean. 
It's no wonder she came up behind Jesus in this crowd. If anyone noticed that she was there, she would not have been welcome. She wouldn't have gotten even close to him. And to her, he seemed at this point to be her only hope. Mark says that she'd heard something about Jesus, so she figured if she could just get close enough to touch his clothing, she would be healed. I just want to make sure you understand what that means. Because it means either that Jesus was wearing a a mini tunic, or she had ape-like arms and was just reaching down. But what we know is she came from behind him and was on her knees because the words tell us that she didn't touch his head or shoulders or arms or hands. It was the bottom of his cloak. That's what those words mean, the bottom of his cloak. So in this crowd uh, that's almost crushing Jesus, there is this woman on her knees reaching through the people to just touch the bottom of his garment. And immediately, immediately, two things happen at the same time. One is she was immediately healed. Verse 29 tells us that her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And I, I've tried to imagine what that's like. And probably the closest that I can come up with is uh, if you've ever had a cold, you ever had a cold and like your nose was stuffed up and you couldn't breathe. And so you use the spray or the, you know, whatever. And, and your nostrils, they open up and you can breathe again. You know how the difference, how you feel that in your body. I, I, I wonder if that's what she felt. She just sort of felt immediately sort of like this just uh, that she experienced a, uh, an opening, and she could tell that she, was, she had been healed. And I said that two things happened at the same time. One was that she was immediately healed. Here's the second is verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? Which seems kind of like a weird question, doesn't it? I mean, what do you do with that? Jesus had felt power go out from him, and he stopped dead in his tracks, And he looks around and he says, who touched my clothes? Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples at this point? Because the priority of the disciples is what? Where are they going? Well, it seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It's the whole point of the story. 12-year-old girl, right? She's dying, a 12-year-old girl. That's their priority. And before you wonder, what is wrong with these guys? Remember, they have no idea that anything has happened. The only ones who know that anything has happened is Jesus has felt power go out from him and a woman has stopped bleeding. All you know is that you're on your way to the house of one of the synagogue rulers and you're fighting the crowds and you're trying to hurry and this little girl is dying and all of a sudden you stop in the middle of the crowd and Jesus wants to know who touched his clothes? What would you have been thinking? Listen, we're on our way to save a little girl's life. Who cares who touched you? Or maybe... Everyone is touching you. Are you kidding me? Look at the people crowding around you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Do you think he already knew? Do you think Jesus already knew who had touched him? Because I got to tell you, normally I would say yes. But I'm not so sure. It seems to me that God had allowed the power to flow through Jesus to the woman. And so he was aware that something had happened but he wasn't real clear on it. Does that sound strange to you? Because that's not how I'm used to Jesus operating. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. I think he was sincerely looking and asking. The question is why? You know, for her, she had hoped to sneak away. For her, she had snuck in behind. For her, she had been unclean. She wanted to be anonymous. But verse 33 says that when that happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. 
and told Jesus everything. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, there was something different about him, something different about Jesus that would draw people to him. Sure, he taught with authority. Sure, he had power over demons. Sure, he could heal the sick. But they had heard the religious leaders of their day, and there was something different about him, something authentic, something real, something genuine. He seemed to actually care about people. What was the priority of the 12 again? Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? What's the priority of the 12? This little girl, this little sick 12-year-old girl, right? By the way, she was part of Jesus' priority as well. I want to make sure you catch this and be very clear on this. Jesus' priority is people. Why do you suppose God was watching her so intently that a crowd, that in a crowd he saw her and healed her through his son without Jesus' knowledge? I want to say for the same reason that Jesus played with children, saved an adulteress, wept over the whole city of Jerusalem, and died on the cross for you and me. Because God loves people. We are his priority. That's why one of the verses that is most memorized by people in the church, and even those outside the church, know that John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And just as important, maybe even more, because it goes against what we're taught about Jesus in the culture, is that God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I read a story about an atheist couple who had a child, and they never told their daughter anything about Jesus. And one night when the little girl was five years old, mom and dad are having a fight. It gets brutal. The dad pulls a gun and shoots mom right in front of the child, and then he shot himself, and she saw the whole thing. She ends up being sent to a foster home. The foster mom was a Christian, took her to church, and on the first day of Sunday school, she tells the teacher that this little girl has never heard of Jesus. Could you please be patient with her? And during the class, this teacher holds up a picture of Jesus, a Sunday school picture of Jesus, and says, does anyone know who this is? And she says, I know who that is. That's the man who was holding me the night my mom and dad died. Is that a true story? I'm fairly skeptical of stories like that. But doesn't it sound like something Jesus would do? I mean, isn't that what he's done in your life? For all of us, when we talk about living on mission here at MCC, part of what we want to make sure we get this week is that when we live on mission, it's people are, are our priority. That's when we know we're living on mission, is people are our priority. But you know what makes this difficult? This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is in this crowd of people, and no one, no one seemed to notice that she was struggling. And I would venture to say that there's someone in the room this morning, someone with us online, and you're struggling. And you have friends who have no idea, and they don't know what to do for you. And they, maybe you've tried everything, and, and, and nothing has helped. And it's possible there may be some in this room some online who have more in common with this woman than we know or you would care to share and you are struggling with something and no one here knows and you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you're proud and it doesn't have to be a physical problem it could be that your marriage is falling apart I mean you can kind of remember when it used to be good 
But honestly, you can't remember those times. And when you hear someone say something like, I can't remember the last time we laughed so hard, you honestly can't remember the last time you even laughed together. Or maybe someone says, I can't remember the last time our family had so much fun together. And you can't even honestly remember the last time your family enjoyed being together. It, it could be loneliness. It could be stress at work. It, it could be a past you can't change. It could be financial ends that just never seem to be able to meet. And you've tried everything. Can I tell you what this story means about you? It means that you are a priority to Jesus. Somebody said she was a woman we might never have remembered had she not crossed the path of the one we could never forget. But this story's not even over. I mean, Jairus is still waiting. Remember the dad, the synagogue leader? He's got a knot in his stomach. He's got a lump in his throat. Maybe he's kicking the dirt, just waiting for this whole thing. Good night. Come on, we got to get home. And what happens next, verse 35, Jesus is still speaking, and some people come from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And if you're this dad, what are you thinking? If you're one of the 12, what are you thinking? What was your priority? If you're one of the 12, what was your only priority? That little girl. It was that 12-year-old girl. Jesus, you had one job since we've landed on shore. So verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, <laughs> just believe. And there's a whole lot more to this story, but let me just sort of fast track it for you. He goes to Jairus' house. He takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went where the child was, and he took her by the hand, and she said to the little girl, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she stood up and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And I told you this last week, but I want to remind you again, it's really important. Jesus shows us his priority is not one of task. It's one of relationship. And the lesson for us is that we can miss opportunities if, that God has for us if we become so focused on a task or we just get moving so fast. But if we follow the pace and priority of Jesus, who had the most important job in the history of humankind, the Son of God came to save us. And he had three and a half years to do it. Nobody had a more important job. You don't have a more important job than Jesus. And if we follow his pace and his priority, we will not allow tasks to win out over relationships. In his book, God's Way to a More Perfect You, Dr. Leroy Lawson relates the story of Mrs. Miller. She'd just undergone surgery to remove a cancerous breast. And She's on a gurney, and beside her is another woman who is sobbing, and Mrs. Miller says, oh, what's the matter? What's wrong? And the woman says, what do you mean what's wrong? Look where I am. I have cancer. I do too. Yeah, but I had surgery to remove one breast, and now I've got lumps on the other side. I do too. Yeah, but I had surgery, and, and, and these treatments, they're making me violently sick. I know, I know, they're making me sick too. Besides all that... I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die too. Well, how can you lie there so blankety-blank, peaceful in the midst of this? And he writes it overlooking the profanity. Mrs. Miller asked, have you tried praying? Of course I've prayed. I have prayed everything from Christian scientists to Buddhists to Baptists. And you know what? None of it has worked. 
think I know why. You do? Why? Because you think your greatest need is to get rid of cancer. But what you really need is Jesus. And I'm not underselling cancer and what it does in people's lives and the lives of people that you love who have it. I'm not, please don't hear that. I just want to make sure that we get that the most important thing that you can get, the most important thing you can give is Jesus. So follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus because you never know when you might get to help someone else see him. Maybe in the middle of something going on in their life that you didn't even know was happening. Or maybe, maybe it'll be during a funeral. Or maybe, maybe it'll be during VBS when their kid's crawling all over the place. And you've got these things that you're trying to get done, right? Because you're helping here. But there's this child. Maybe it's in helping someone else make a decision to follow him. And you get the chance to show them Jesus. Listen, we stop every week to remind us of who he, who he is. That he's the one who took our sins away. But we also stop to remind ourselves that there's a pace and priority to what he has done, to the way he lived his life, the way he showed us how we should live our life. Because if we will live by the pace and the priority of Jesus, people will always win. And that's part of what communion reminds us. It's part of what the Sabbath is designed to remind us, to stop and trust him with what's going on, not just in our life, but how he'll use us in the lives of those around us. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to remember together. God, thank you for uh, moments like this, on a day like this, where you designed, you designed this day as a reason for us to stop, to remember, to know that there was something going on in our life that maybe we were ashamed of and didn't want anyone to know about, and yet we knew you did, and you loved us through it, and someone helped us come to know you. And we just want to say thanks. For others of us, we have had the privilege, and it's, it's, it's been crazy how you used us in the life of someone maybe that we were very close to, maybe it was someone in our family, Maybe it was someone we didn't hardly know at all, someone from work, but they noticed something about us and they came to us. We got to share with them that you're why we are the way we are. And it's kind of crazy when you do that. But we want to say thank you. And Jesus, we want to say thank you for giving your life on the cross for our sins. And we want to stop right now to remember how important that is to us and we never want to forget that, how you changed our life. Now you'll use us to help someone else come to know you so you can change their life as well. And so, Jesus, we pray that you will be honored and blessed as we remember together. And we pray this in your name. Amen.